All right. Welcome back to Zero G, a history of forgotten phones. I'm Christy Pitts. I'm a partner at Backstage Capital, and I'm joined by Peter Rojas. I'm a partner at Betaworks Ventures. And we are super nerds for smartphones today, tomorrow, and from the past. <laughs> yeah. So if you are, uh, hopefully, uh, you are now three episodes in to this, this uh, series, our little mini series of uh smartphones that time has forgotten. But uh, if you are new to it, uh, so Christy and I are, like we said, we're both big phone nerds. We both have a, a sort of a secret, maybe not so secret background in phones, I guess. Um, I don't think we're hiding it. Uh, but um, we wanted to do a show to talk about all of the weird and wonderful phones that uh, were out in the years sort of before the iPhone. And then I think the ones that tried to take on the iPhone and didn't work out so well, uh, we'll be getting to some of that. So it's sort of a walk down memory lane and uh, we're excited to have you join us. We're up to 2006 now, and I think we may jump around a little bit. But uh, this was a this was a weird year for smartphones. Would would you not agree with that? Uh, it is absolutely. And I would like to say that uh, manufacturers experimented with all kinds of things during this year, um, different kinds of response, um, sl- phones that slid open in every imaginable direction, flipped in every which way. Uh, multiple keyboards. I mean, manufacturers are really trying to figure yeah. this out and see what would stick. And, and this is what I think, uh, in another word, 12 years on from this year, that people forget is that nobody exactly knew what the the ultimate form of the smartphone was going to take, or even if it would have an ultimate form. It just, it just, they, you're right that they tried so many different weird, random things. And we're not even going to get into like, all the crazy stuff that I think has ever been uh, tried. But uh, I think you'll see in 2006, this was the sort of the last year of what I call blissful ignorance before the iPhone was announced in January of 2007. And uh, uh, this was a year when you saw just a lot of uh, interesting random stuff. Uh, One thing I wanted to start with was the Trio 700W, which uh, I played a small role in in, um, breaking the news of in the world. I guess we can talk about that in a minute. But this was... Palm, their first non-Palm OS device. So they had always had uh, the the trios and the, and the Palm pilots before that, which had always run Palm OS, some version of Palm OS. But this one was different because it ran Windows Mobile. Yes, and this is actually um, we talked about the Trio Six Hundred and the Trio Six Fifty on the other episodes. Um, and it was kind of like one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> one of these things just doesn't belong because Palm stuck to their same hardware of look. So the Trio 700W looked very similar to the 600 and 650. There were a couple of small updates, but um, the big difference was it was running Windows Mobile and not the Palm OS, just like you said. Yeah, and um, so uh, this was... Again, in retrospect, this doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but at the time it was sort of earth shattering that Palm was seen as uh, one of the, the giants of, of mobile computing. Then they had stumbled a little bit and, and were um, not quite as, as dominant as they had looked just even a couple of years earlier with the, with the Trio 600 and the 650. But the idea that they would uh, kind of work with Windows, uh, work with Microsoft and, and ship a phone with Windows Mobile on it was just anathema. I mean, it was almost inconceivable to a lot of the, uh, the Palm fanboys. And, and, and I think, and they were almost always men, uh, but the, uh, for better, the, for better, for worse. Uh, but uh, there were real inflamed passions around this. And so uh, I was someone who, I mainly used a trio. That was my, my primary phone. And um, 
had never really gotten um, – I had always tested out and played with Windows mobile phones, but it could never really uh, uh, take the leap. And um, But was always looking to – obviously for a scoop. And so was able to get my hands on the, uh, the 700W about, I think, five or six days before it was actually announced. And uh, I had someone who had gotten their hands on one and, and offered it to me. And uh, I, I did not buy the phone or anything like that, which I, I, I think if, I, I didn't really want to know exactly where the phone had come from. I knew that it was an engineering sample, uh, but I got it and, um, uh, you know, it booted up. It ran Windows on it and uh, uh, Windows Mobile. And I did a sort of a little review of it and Palm and Microsoft and um, uh, uh, Verizon had actually planned a huge launch uh for the phone at um uh why am i blanking what's the big the big mobile conference in the u.s um uh I not CES. cs um it's the the yeah. mobile specific one anyway I, I, it'll come to me in a second but uh, uh and so they had this like big event uh, i think it was like bill gates ed colligan from palm and i think it was ivan seidenberg right was the chair of of verizon wireless at the time uh you would know this better than i would um and so they were having this big thing, and they were going to get on stage and unveil this phone, and I spoiled it by five days. <gasps> yeah, I oh was very proud. I was very proud of myself, but but uh, Palm was <laughs> Palm especially was really angry with me, really really angry with me. I am sure they were. What kind of what happened? Okay, so take us behind the scenes. It's like okay. when that. So so you uh, had the phone. What did you do? You wrote a review. Is that how you spoiled it? The first thing I did is I I didn't want to even take the time to write a review because I honestly was worried that maybe somebody else had one too. So I just posted a hands-on where I just posted photos of it. And one of the things I remember at the time is that people thought I had faked the photos. Uh, well, I mean, I guess it could be feasible because... No, totally. It, you could do it. It didn't really look that different from any of the other ones. So you could just Photoshop a little window screen in there. Yeah, no, and, 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 and people accused me of doing that. And so I did post... I actually remember at one point, and this is one of the things is all those comments are missing from Engadget right now, but I actually did... Uh, respond to some of the user comments who are like, oh, like, show me this field or, you know, like, show me this screen. And so I would go and, like, show them that screen and, and post it. So, uh, um, it, you know, obviously it was the real deal. Uh, I, I knew I knew that it was real. But again, it was, I think, hard for some of these Palm loyalists that they didn't just define themselves as, as um, partisans of Palm as a company, but really Palm as, an, as a platform, as an ecosystem. And so it right, seemed like right. a big surrender uh, for, for them. It, not unlike the surrender in a sense that Nokia did when they switched to Windows Mobile themselves, uh, I think it would have been six years later or so, five or six years later. Speaking of Windows Mobile, I looked it up before we got on, and um, on the Windows Mobile Wikipedia page, it was <laughs> it's cracking up because it's like, I'm talking about the origin of Windows Mobile and so forth, but anyway, it's one of the sentences in the um, summary says, by 2007, it was a moderately successful OS on mobile devices. <laughs> that tells you all you need to know about Windows well, Mobile. One of my favorite things about, about Windows Mobile is, um, I don't know if you have the page still open, but all the different names that it's had. Yeah, Windows CE, Pocket PC. And then they, then this is really similar though to like- uh, wait, 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 my favorite is Windows Mobile 2003 Special Edition. Exactly. So it's like, um, you know, they had like Windows 95, Windows 98, Windows, what, 2000? 2000. Windows, um, M no, it was Windows ME, <laughs> Windows 2000, I can't <laughs> Windows 2000 was the server, the NT server version, and then Windows ME was yeah. the consumer version. But 
Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. That was a deep glimpse. Well, <laughs> Everyone listen. And, and the thing is, and the thing is it got really convoluted because they had, they had pocket P, it was called pocket PC, right. pocket PC 2000, pocket PC 2002. And then they had windows smartphone because it, they had, it, it, it had kind of forked. And so you had the version for, uh, touchscreen devices and a version for non-touchscreen devices. And, and they thought Windows smartphone would be sort of like the flip phone consumer version. We talked about this a little bit with the uh, the Motorola, like the uh, the MPX 200 or something like that, which we talked about in the first episode. Yeah, and there was a Samsung phone that we used to sell that was a global phone that had Windows on it. Um, that was a flip phone. I can't remember. It, it'll come to me in a minute, the uh, model number. But it was just this, it, it had a, um, like a nine button keypad. Nine, nine button keyboard. Uh, a, a, a T9? Yeah. Or ten, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, that'll come to me. It, I mean, it's very Microsoft, right? And I think it was only when they, they made the switch to, you know, to Windows Phone, right? Um, I guess I was a little, slightly uh, uh, wrong when I said Nokia adopted Windows Mobile because they, did, they adopted the, the next version, which was Windows Phone. But, um, but uh, you know, it, this is sort of one of their problems because I, I, I think Microsoft – they just didn't think of this as a consumer product. They still, they always thought of it as being a, a really enterprise focused product. And that, I mean, they they conceived of people as carrying two phones, right? You have sort of your personal flip phone and then you'd have your business smartphone. And uh, we, that turned out to not, yes. I mean, some people do carry two yep. phones, but um, I, see, I see people carry two iPhones, <laughs> one for work and one for more than anything <laughs> else. Uh, I mean, I have definitely carried two phones before. I've carried multiple operating systems before. Um, but there's, it was never because I, I wanted to segment my life into two different segments, right? It was like for different functionality or work versus life from like professional phone number, personal phone number. Oh, you didn't have your burner phone for the... Uh... I mean, there were some days in my life when I was on the OK Cupid <laughs> when I needed to have a second line. It's not all on software. In fact, I, that's, you know, with the iPhone now uh, having the second virtual SIM, uh, you know, I mean, though you could always do it via apps and things like that. But but the idea of um, needing a second device to have a second phone, I mean, that's just sort of in the past now. Um, Although I do have a kind of funny anecdote about that. So at the time that we sold these um, Trio 700Ws, this is at the time when the way um, pricing, carrier pricing worked was you paid like for a primary line on your account and then you paid a very small amount per month for a secondary line, like 10 bucks a month, right? Yeah. So um, it wasn't uncommon that uh, if you were having an affair that you would add another line to your account and use that line uh, to communicate with the person you're having an affair with. And so inadvertently, more than one time when I was working in the store, we would in, we would accidentally expose someone as having an affair. Oh, no. Like what someone would come in? Like what would happen? Give me an example of like, like how, how that happened. Okay. So like let's say that you walked into the store and you said like I want to upgrade my phone, but you had your wife with you, right? Yeah. And so um, at the time, it was really tough because the carriers tied the subsidy to the contract that was tied to each mobile number. Yeah. And so, um, and of course like the billing systems we were using, I don't even like a command based billing system. It didn't even have a GUI. Right. <laughs> and so. <laughs> that like, must, yeah. It must have, I can't even yeah. imagine what the point of sales systems were like 10 years ago. Yeah. So if you came in, you said, I want to upgrade my phone. And then I would say, okay, you know, um, your number's not available for an upgrade, but the number that ends in like, one, two, three, four is available for an upgrade. And then your wife would look at you and be like, whose number ends in one, two, three, four? Oh, man. 
oh my god <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> sometimes things went down at the Verizon store <laughs> let me let you know <laughs> no drama <laughs> anyways that's an anecdote that's a to the side wow that's I that that is amazing <laughs> uh that is that is crazy um yeah I I, I, I can't even <laughs> I can't even imagine, to be honest. Uh, the, uh, okay, so Trail Seven Hundred W. It was. Uh, it, it did not end up saving Palm, though, uh, no. as I think we may talk about in. Um, I think in next. I think in next episode, I want to talk about the open letter I wrote to Palm. Uh, yes. When they were in trouble, um, which I think was in two thousand seven. But uh, but you know the phone did it did okay, uh, and they certainly did a follow up the the seven hundred WX. Uh, but they also did the seven hundred P, which was. Uh, the palm, the palm yeah. version. I ended up did I did end up buying that phone. I think that was my last palm device. You didn't ever use the pre because the pre was a follow up to oh, the P, right? I did, but remember the pre was well. We'll talk about it. But the pre was an exclusive to Sprint initially, and I I just didn't want to. Oh, yeah. I didn't want to be on Sprint anymore. Um, yep. No, maybe I did. Maybe there was a successor. Actually, I'm trying to remember whether I did the follow up or not. Well, we can talk about it. But um, yeah, I may have. I may have done the follow-up to that one because i do remember having one without an antenna that i did use um, yeah 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 okay but the 700w did they did there was a, a very loyal following so once people started adopting windows and again there was this whole thing with like email right so if you had a microsoft exchange server yeah for your work email it was much easier to use windows mobile devices and um many people really liked the hardware design of the trio or i guess yeah, the Trio 700W, yeah. and then when the 700WX came, I can remember people held on to that thing for a long time. Yeah. A lot of people, in fact, I remember meeting customers that would buy them instead of upgrading, they would buy other people's like refurbished 700WX on eBay and just continue to use the same device because they liked it that much. Wow, that is hardcore. <laughs> Didn't save Palmbo or Windows. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know for real. The um, the only thing I will note about this device is that you could uh, it had an SD memory card slot, but it did work with uh, SD adapters. So if you had one of those SD, people forget about this. If if you wanted to add Wi-Fi to a phone, you could buy because none of these phones had Wi-Fi at the time. You could add an SD adapter card, kind of like yes. and yes. stick it in there. And you would have Wi-Fi on it, and I had one. Yep. In fact, and I, I remember the. I think the 700W was the first phone that I had that supported that kind of memory card, the uh, uh, SD uh, memory card style Wi-Fi adapter. And so I remember popping it in and being really stoked that I now had. Did it work well? It worked okay. I mean, again, at the time, these things were. It was. Um, uh, the it, it it was fine, but you know, Wi-Fi was still. Uh, um, you know, it wasn't ubiquitous. Well, yeah. I think the thing is, like at the time, like the re so the reason you would use Wi-Fi on your phone now is because you're downloading like really big files and and music or you know something like that or watching a movie. You really couldn't do very much of that with these phones. So there, it, using Wi-Fi versus using your regular network was not necessarily that big of a difference. Um, and there were a lot of things that wouldn't work. Uh, not everything would work if, when you were on Wi-Fi. So it's like not like you could do like, you know. VoIP calling or, or any of that stuff. So maybe maybe there was a VoIP app for it, but um, I, I don't remember it being like something that I was so, uh, uh, I used very often. And the, and the other thing is um, I was really concerned I was going to snap the uh, the little adapter because it, it did stick out. It was a valid concern, valid concern. Yeah. 
I, I was legitimately worried about that. Uh, okay, so um, I wanted to we should talk about the LG Chocolate because this was so speaking of like this was a phone that I think a lot of people at LG and Verizon had very high hopes for. Am I am I right here? You are right. In fact, um, this this one. Okay, so this is the continuation of the conversation we we're having in the last episode about music on phones and how um, music was really a differentiating strategy for, for, for carriers and for manufacturers yeah. because Verizon had the chocolate exclusively, uh, had the VCast music store, and you could put an SD card in it with your music. Um, and this was paired at the time with tons of marketing spend on Verizon's side uh, with musicians. So do you remember the Gwen Stefani controversy that happened around the time of the LG chocolate launch? No, but I'm dying to, to hear about this. <laughs> okay. Okay. So when the chocolate launched, because it was, it was like tied so closely. And if I remember actually, uh, this, I might be saying this wrong, but I think that this is correct. So I'm pretty sure that LG chocolate did not have a headphone jack, similar situation as what we see with iPhone well, you had today. Use an adapter? Uh, there was an adapter. Yeah. That went into the charging port. And so it came with this adapter and then you could get stereo headphones or whatever. And um, actually, when the phone launched, it was during the holidays, or it was like the holiday release, and Verizon had um, DJs coming around to the stores and playing music, like bumping music in the stores. And then there was this huge um, promotion with Gwen Stefani. And it was when Gwen Stefani had released the album that has the, um, the banana song on it. Yeah. The Hollow Back Girl yeah. song. Yeah. yeah. So um, I remember being kind of like stoked about this because we got all these Gwen Stefani accessories and like employees got, um, I don't know, like just like cool little promo stuff. And then there was like all these contests as the tour was coming from city to city. But the controversy was that Akon was the opening act. And this is what the tour where Akon had um, the experience where I think he brought an underage girl on stage. Oh, I think I like, vaguely remember this. In an explicit context. Okay, so this caused major waves inside of Verizon because at Big Red, we were definitely... Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. Uh, I think you were understating how uh, <laughs> Verizon uh, was at the so. Yeah. So I did. Um, I do know somebody that was working on this tour on on this marketing strategy, like this music marketing strategy, who um, recounted to me the temperature. I'll just put it that way inside of the Verizon offices when this news broke, and it was not good. But um, yeah, so I'll just say that. But what I will say is, we dropped. You could still look up the news articles about this. Verizon dropped their sponsorship of the tour in the middle of the tour of when. when they, and then we had to like pull back all the accessories and things that we were selling to go with the chocolate. So anyways, that's not really about the phone, but it was, it's kind of a funny memory. No, that, but this is exactly why I, I, <laughs> I am happy to do this podcast with you. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyways, chocolate. So it had, um, it was really innovative because it had the haptic response, Yeah. Uh, which was a new thing, right? You had touch screen phones and you had non-touch screen phones, but the chocolate was kind of this middle ground where you could feel the buttons respond to you, but it wasn't really a button. Yeah, it had that kind of light vibration thing. But it didn't, yep. it, I remember it not being that good. Yeah, so that light vibration thing, really, when you compare it to the ability to press a physical button in the format that the chocolate was, which it, the chocolate did not have a QWERTY keyboard, it was a slider phone. So you could slide mm -hmm. it up and, and slide it, like to take a call, you would slide it up and to hang up, you would slide it shut. Uh, I think that the haptic touch was pretty hard to use. I can remember 
people having struggling with that. And still, I'm not sure this was still an effort to crack the experience of using music on your phone. And it wasn't, yeah. it was still pretty clunky, not a great experience. The the thing I remember about it was it, they, it tried to look like a, when it was closed, like a nano yes. a little bit. Yep. A little bit. Uh, and so, and so it kind of, I mean, it was as kind of as good as phones looked, I think at the time, especially the white one, I thought looked really, well, they both looked, I mean, they're good in both the, 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 uh, original and I think in the the white and I think there are other colors as well. Oh yeah, red, blue, pink. There yeah. was um lime green color. That came I don't remember the lime green. I'm pretty sure or maybe I'm thinking of No, 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 I, I mean that yeah. sounds that it makes sense it's just I don't I can't picture it in my head but um but it's a nice looking phone. I I, I uh I the the thing that always I always found the LG's um uh UI design to be really bad. And I, I think that the, the chocolate was no exception. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. Uh, I, I would say one of the things that, that I, I, I do recall about this phone that was nice is it did support stereo Bluetooth. Yes. Which um, I think the one of the phones we're going to talk about in a second here uh, did not and was kind of not scandalous exactly, but seemed kind of one of those like, you know, head slapping like how could you not include this um but and i think this is one of the things that i think we again we talked about this before a little bit around bluetooth profiles and and how I, we think of it just like bluetooth is bluetooth right like you connect something and it works and it does whatever you want but uh at the time and it's still really the case now um the manufacturer has to support various profiles for bluetooth uh on the you know on the device's firmware or software to make it uh, to make it work. So if you want stereo Bluetooth, you have to support a stereo Bluetooth mm -hmm. profile. If you want file transfer, you have to support file transfer profile. And for whatever reason, supporting um, Bluetooth profiles was like the most difficult thing for phone makers yeah. to do. It was <laughs> uh, like some. It was this like feat of engineering if they could add a two DP, which is the the Bluetooth stereo yep. profile. And uh, uh, and I and I remember. Um, I mean, like, I don't, I'm not an engineer, so I'm not going to pretend, I'm not going to like minimize the effort, especially on these very low, uh, you know, devices with like very little memory and, and, and extremely sluggish pro, uh, processors. But um, it was sort of hilarious to me how like you would get this device and it'd be great, but it would be missing like one profile that you really wanted. And you're like, great, this is like, you know, and then you pray that they would do a firmware update. Oh, the firmware update prayer. OTA. Wait, so... so as an aside, how many times do people come in with like a bricked phone because they screwed up? They like unplugged it during a firmware update or something like that. Not that often, actually. Um, but the firmware updates weren't always over the air. And bef when I first started working at Verizon, in order to do a firmware update, we had to um, plug the phone into a computer with this. If you can imagine like a desktop PC with all of these cords that were coming out of the bottom. And then we would plug yeah. it in and it would take like 45 minutes to rewrite the phone software. And occasionally there would be phones that had, that struggled with maintaining the memory of contacts. Like in, yeah. in the store, we, we could see um, patterns where contact lists would get erased. And so I can remember like backing up to a Celebrate machine and then backing up uh, the firmware. And those, uh, we also, by the way, that was how you did firmware updates on pocket PCs. Yeah, and on smartphones, uh, they weren't over there either. So. No, they could. They, none of those could do over the air. Uh, and I think that was, um, I mean, the fact that when phones uh, phones started to be able to do uh, you know OTA updates was that was a big deal for a lot of them. Because, yeah, uh, because let's just like like 
like you have a pocket PC, it doesn't work. You walk into the store, you're like, God, this thing was driving me nuts. It, it sucks. And the person that helps you is like, Oh, can you go ahead and come back in four hours? <laughs> four <laughs> hours and like, your phone may or may not be wiped. <laughs> may or may not work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yes, and I, I, I've uh, I've been close not to brick too many devices, but I have certainly done it. And um, yeah. Uh, uh, okay, so I do want to talk about the what we're talking about in music phones is the other sort of big music phone from 2006. And it's so funny, again, to talk about this era when kind of nobody knew it was coming. But uh, one of the, the big phones was the Sony Ericsson W810 um, from the, the Walkman Man. phone. And so uh, Sony Ericsson, this is one of these uh, OEMs that time has forgotten, but it was a partnership between Sony and Ericsson, so Sony, a Japanese company, obviously, and Ericsson, the Swedish company. And um, <laughs> I think it, it left both companies in worse shape uh, than it should have. Um, there was, Sony was not able to make a phone on its own, but didn't have full control over what they were doing. And so they would do things where they would sort of license the, they would, you know, use the Walkman name uh, to make phones. They certainly did it with the PlayStation also. Uh, but then the phones would not necessarily be that great. Um, like the uh, uh, the W810, it was you know pretty good. It looked like a regular kind of candy bar phone. It supported, uh, uh, it had a pretty decent you know music player and supported like MP3 and AAC and things like that. But uh, I don't believe it supported um, like stereo Bluetooth, for example. Oh, and that's a hot topic. Yeah, we talked about that a few minutes ago. Yeah, and so it's one of those things where it's like this is fine, but it, it, you know it. it um, uh, you know, you, you, can, you kind of feel like if you're going to do this, like let's make it like the ultimate music phone. Uh, and it is certainly, uh, I, I don't, I don't think it really delivered, but um, you know, to talk about like Sony Ericsson for just a second though, Sony actually had a line, a really great line of um, Palm devices called the Clie, uh, And they uh, ended up abandoning that and focusing on phones, but none of that sort of product design DNA Came into the came into Sony Ericsson, so you would see these amazing. In fact, Palm Sony made the best Palm devices when they did make Palm devices, and if they had made a Trio like device, I have no doubt that it probably would have been better than the Trio, and uh, at least in the hardware design, um, software design, they would have been probably at par with with uh, with Palm. Um, but the uh, uh, Sony Ericsson was just sort of like misfire after misfire. I feel like in terms of the hardware especially at this time. You know what I realized as we started talking about this phone? Do you think we need to explain the Walkman brand? Uh, I, I really hope not. <laughs> but okay, so the Walkman well, the Walkman was a, a personal cassette player. It was a big deal. Uh, about 40 years ago came out oh. and um, you could walk around with headphones and listen to music, which is a huge revolution because before that music was a shared experience whether you want it to be exactly. it or not. Uh, but I think Sony Ericsson or Sony through their Sony Ericsson partnership, I think they expected that the, that Walkman putting the, slapping the Walkman name on uh, of device would really resonate with people. And that, that would be something that would really drive, uh, handset sales. And mm -hmm. I think it did a little bit, but the execution was so bad that, uh, if anything, it just further damaged the brand rather than, uh, you know, yeah, I think it. this is um, one we could chalk up to um, another failed music attempt. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So I, I did want to talk about the Nokia N93, maybe even a little bit about the E61, but the Nokia N93, this was announced in uh, April 2006. This was supposed to be the ultimate camera phone. Uh, and I think of 2006 as being the high watermark for Nokia and, and Symbian um, sort of more generally. Again, it's the year before the iPhone is announced. Uh, it's when Symbian is the biggest mobile operating system on the planet uh, and um, and certainly uh, had the most, uh, um, you know, shipped on the most devices, I think had the largest library of, of third-party applications, things like that. Um, it was a little fragmented because each OEM would have their own kind of flavor of it. But uh, but Nokia had this uh, put out a lot of handsets and and this one the Nokia N ninety three was supposed to be as I said the ultimate uh, camera phone it was a had a kind of a flip design with a rotating screen that could ro can we talk about this design for a second yeah well the thing that, to note is that the camera lens is in the the hinge yeah yep so um, super weird right well it it calls to memory. So like this is the thing is if you have a smartphone today, you record video on your smartphone. But there was a time in history when if you wanted to record video, you had to have a camcorder. Yes. And so that's what they were going for, right? Is like kind of yeah. a phone version of a camcorder. You're exactly right. It looks like one of these handheld camcorders. And um, you're supposed to kind of hold it. And if you look at all the buttons and where the camera is, the camera, again, is like kind of in the hinge that... Uh, it's you you know if you you would hold it kind of and have this screen in front of you like a, like you hold a camcorder yep. and um that's what they were going for i also found a, a fun fact about the nokia in 93 when lo looking on wikipedia are you ready for yeah. this yeah as well as coming in two colors pearl black and silver there was also a nokia in 93 golf edition which had preloaded with pro session <laughs> golf software to help improve game skills <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to comment on the golf edition of the Nokia N ninety three? First of all, I don't have any recollection of this, but also, um, what, were they, what were they thinking? I, if anything, I think it says it says something about how bad they were at getting people to install software on these things after the fact, like after purchase. Like it basically, if it wasn't preloaded with a golf app. Um, there was maybe for a lot of people like no way to really easily get things on there, um, you know. Yeah, and I think there was something else here. So apparently, there was also a Mission Impossible Three edition that included a memory card preloaded with the movie Mission Impossible <laughs> and, and the Mission Impossible Three theme song that you could use as ringtone. But I think like a bigger thing is that um, really it was there was so we see this with apps now, right? And app stores like you could have a successful app. And how do you measure that by number of downloads? And so the problem is if you have an app that gets 10 million downloads, it's still a niche app. And so if it's like a golf app, for example, 10 million downloads isn't really successful in the world of smartphones. But like at this time, there was just recognition that there were all of these niches, like customer demographics. Mm -hmm. And if, if, they could win one customer demographic. It was like, how can we win the rest of them? So what are we going to try? We're going to try everything we can potentially try. <laughs> like Mission Impossible on one phone, golf on another phone. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think, I mean, one of the things we haven't talked too much about is that you, there, there wasn't really um, much kind of installing apps from the cloud. You had to really connect something to a, a desktop and install from there for the most for, for a lot of things. Um, I mean, there were some some 
again, there were some ways to do mobile installs, but it was not like when I want to install apps on my, um, on my, uh, my trio, like I did that via the desktop, uh, for the, for the most part. Um, at least that's, how, that's right. what I recollect. Uh, but I think that, but the, I think your larger point is that like the, there's this way of thinking about the market was that um, instead of like, again, I mean, obviously Apple has like a bunch of different iPhones now, but there, the, the idea there is like, let's have kind of one platform and people can have right. whatever apps on it that best suit them. The, this era is still so hardware driven that the idea is, well, we got to have like hardware that suits we got to have like lots of different SKUs and lots of different kinds of hardware to like make all these different kinds of customers happy. And so, I mean, we, we, if we just want to talk about Nokia, we could talk about Nokia for hours. Um, I don't want to, but, mm -hmm. um, but the, the number of different devices that they put out there uh, to try to satisfy all these different constituencies, I think spoke to the fact that they kind of missed the bigger picture, which was why don't you just create one really superior user experience that is really flexible in terms of, of, what it can do via uh, applications and 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 offer that, and I think ultimately that's where Apple and, and Android end up. Uh, and I think if you go back and rewatch uh, Steve Jobs' original iPhone presentation at at, um, at MacWorld in two thousand seven, he basically he says this. He's like, you know, we're going to try to make the whole the whole front of the phone is a screen so that we can have the phone become whatever it is you need it to become in that moment. And right. um, it, it seems kind of obvious in retrospect, but Again, in 2006, I, like I think if you would ask the average kind of mobile like phone executive in the industry, like what things were where the industry was going to be, you would just they would just see it as like more and more fragmented, right? That there'd just be uh, lots more and more different kinds of phones to try to serve like ever you know ever more different differentiated niches. Yeah. So uh, yeah, sure not to not be the case at all, fortunately. Fortunately for us, because otherwise you could be locked in for two years to a device that was the Mission Impossible 3 edition. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, man, I want Mission Impossible 4. Yeah, uh, they did. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, if you're listening, I, I would say the Nokia N93 is the one phone from this uh, episode that you definitely want to look up and, and check out the pictures of. Because again, for I remember friends that were photographers and, and this was the phone for them. Like they they... This is the phone they carried around. They brought to events. They took on vacation. Like that, it uh, it was sort of the uh, uh, I mean, it was the the best thing you could use to do uh, you know capture for photos. I mean, it was in retrospect, it's like you know three megapixel camera, nothing cr crazy special, but it did have three X optical zoom, and that is still relatively rare on a, on a, it's still not that many phones with uh, optical. I guess the new iPhones do uh, have. I think 2x optical zoom, but um, you know, really good optics uh, are pretty rare. And I think the fact that they put the camera lens barrel sort of in the hinge and the way they do means that they could have more depth there than you can have in a, a phone right now. So I have a question for you to see if yeah. you remember this, because I don't remember this, um, but I'm looking at the specs on this phone and it, uh, it had direct TV out connectivity. I don't remember that. So, oh. so I'm thinking about 2006, like HDMI wasn't really adopted yet in 2006. It must have been, um, you know, it must have been, I, I do remember seeing sometimes devices with this. It must have just gone to like a VGA. Okay. Like convert to VGA. But could, so did you ever, um, so what I'm, ex what I'm understanding this experience to be then is that like you take your Nokia N93 to mm -hmm. your, to the event, right? Like your kid's soccer game. And then you're standing there yeah. recording it in camcorder mode. And yeah. then you go home and plug it into your TV so you can watch what you recorded, 
Was that the idea? Yeah. I mean, I think you could export to uh, your PC. Yes. But... And it says you could burn to a DVD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, the, there wasn't uh, that many... Um, I mean, there were some early like mobile blogging and mobile photo blogging tools out there, uh, including ones that for the N93, but they were uh, pretty few and far between. I think a lot of them would support, um, you know, MMS and use that to uh, to deliver something to a, a blog. Okay. But it was, but it was not a, uh, it was not, not, not like, it, this is not even like a proto Instagram. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay, there's one other feature that I want to bring up because okay. it was actually a popular feature and a decision-making feature for a lot of um, flip phones at this time, which is push to talk. So the N93 had push to talk capability. Push to talk with who? Because we, we haven't even talked about Nextel. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Well, the Nextel, remember Nextel? So Nextel was the carrier where push to talk was their thing. Yes. And so, like, I think it's helpful to, to explain the evolution of push to talk, right? So like, if you think about um, the consumer mindset, when, when phones first hit the market, like a lot of people thought about the utility of a walkie talkie, right? Yeah. And so that was what, this was how, this was push to talk, like a Nextel phone. I can still remember like black flip phone with a mm -hmm. yellow button and you would push the yellow button and you would push to talk just like a walkie talkie. Yeah. The, the Nextel phones were hands down the ugliest phones imaginable mm -hmm. uh, they mm -hmm. were like it was almost like aggressively ugly <laughs> ugly <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. and they ended up getting bought by sprint which is i i uh uh was called sprint nextel for a while and i think it's not, for a yeah. long time i used to call it sprextel <laughs> is that how you dissed it at verizon yeah because like why do you have sprextel yeah <laughs> Make and end your calls like an adult human being. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so uh, okay, so to round things out, I think we wanted to uh, also talk about the BlackBerry Pearl, the 8100, because we talked about the 7100 mm -hmm. last yeah. week. So like the 8100 8, sort of cashed the check that the 7100 wrote, right? It's sort of like consumer version. Oh, I uh, like thank that. You. Um, consumer, it's sort of like a consumer version of the uh, BlackBerry. It had the thing where they, they put the, the two keys it's like a qwerty keyboard but it's two keys per uh two letters per key and they're sort of sure type predictive keyboard uh and this was actually a pretty popular phone i mean i i knew a lot of people that that bought them yes very popular also we talked last time i think about um the blackberry's original navigational system being um on the right hand side of the phone on the upper right and it was like a little wheel that you could use to scroll through yeah applications, but the Pearl moved that front and center to the middle of the phone. And it was really the first time I think, well, maybe not the first time, but it was really when you could hold the Pearl in one hand and with your thumb, you mm -hmm. could use this wheel in the middle of the screen and you could scroll through all of your applications very quickly. And I think yeah. that in combination with the keyboard, it made for a really good user experience. Yeah. And I, I don't, I'm trying to remember, did the 80, I don't think the 8100 had a because it's not; it wasn't a touchscreen. No, it wasn't a touchscreen. So you had to have yeah. some type of way to get through. But yeah. what the um, wheel did differently than, or like the the little, um, I guess it's a wheel. Like I don't know, wheel is not the right word. Button, pearl, maybe. The pearl, it was, the, no, it was, a, it was a trackball. Trackball. That's what I'm looking yes. for. Okay, so what the trackball did differently is you could move omnidirectionally yeah. very quickly. Which in the past on BlackBerry you couldn't because you could only go up and down. Yeah. And so um, the experience was much more 
much faster to move through the applications and also to select um, text and edit text if you're writing an email or a text message. And so uh, between the keyboard, which was which was SureType, right? It was SureType, yeah. Yeah, so SureType was great. I, I used it, I loved it. And then the trackball, it was a good experience, solid phone. Yeah, I never I never owned one. I, I, I certainly had one to review at some point and um, I could never get over the keyboard. It just- Oh, really? Yeah, it just- Something about it just never kind of clicked, no pun intended, with me. Um, but I will say in terms of the size, it felt really good. The, like, the device felt very good in the hand, and, and um, it, it felt – I mean, it felt pretty good uh, for, uh, uh, you know, for a phone like this. And, um, and, I, and again, it was one of these moments where um, – you know, if you, again, if you go back to 2006, it kind of felt like, oh, BlackBerry is going from strength to strength, right? Like they've done so well on the enterprise side. They have this, you know, there are people called them Crackberries, remember that? And they're addicted to their Blackberries and yeah. celebrities had them. And and uh, and so now they finally come out with this version that is uh, really consumer friendly. And, and uh, you know, I wouldn't say that it was necessarily aimed at young people, but they certainly did marketing to um, kind of expand their user base beyond, you know, business users. And um uh, I, I mean, I think it launched on T-Mobile first, which tends to be the sort of more consumer-friendly carrier. Not, not consumer-friendly, but you know, more consumer, like less business-oriented carrier. Um, like most enterprise customers are going, were at the time were going with Verizon or Singular, uh, which ended up becoming AT and T. So it was um, uh, that was you know a little bit of a, a not to say statement there, but like clearly like you know a move that they're trying to expand beyond uh, that. And so again, 2006. It's this year when Windows Mobile finally got Palm. Uh, you know, Nokia is coming out with all these crazy high-end devices. Uh, Blackberries, you know, expanding consumer. Um, it, 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 like, I don't think any of them knew what was coming. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. They had no idea what was on the horizon. <laughs> And I think that's what we will talk about. We'll start to talk about in the next episode is uh, we'll start to dig into dun, dun, the, dun. The, the island of misfit <laughs> phones that uh, <laughs> that came out in response to the uh, either in response or uh, started to show, I think, some of the weaknesses of, of uh, a lot of these these players. Because we'll start to see, man, there's a, there's just a lot of weird. I mean, I almost want to do a whole episode on the Microsoft Kin. I think we oh the kin the kin yeah but the kin came out a little bit that it's was a little 11. later it's a little, 11. but I'm just saying like I think that like I, I think that maybe that will be our postscript episode where we just okay. we pile well, on we're just going on the kin just go in. but I also feel like the years 2006 and 2007 really were were these um, special edition devices too so I'm gonna try to find some more special edition ones that we can talk about next oh uh, special yeah and they'd always come with like it, 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 and they always came with preloaded with something like a film yeah. or some random thing um yeah there's a there's a lot of that there's a lot of that. i mean yeah. it still kind of happens occasionally like you'll occasionally see like uh um like an htc phone or something like that which comes with like an iron man edition or whatever but um yeah. not as much of that um Awesome. Should we wrap up? I think so. Thanks for listening. Thanks for walking through time with us. We appreciate it. Thanks. And um, we're both easy to reach. Um, I, I'm at Peter Rojas on Twitter. I'm I'm Christy Pitts on Twitter. And we'll see you next time with um, more forgotten phones to talk to you about. <laughs> Zero G. We'll be back soon. Thanks. Thanks.